0: Ladies and gentlemen, good evening, and welcome to a referendum-free Brooklyn's Tonight, <laughs> We might do a show of hands at the end, but no, that's <laughs> um, As I always say, thank you for being here and thank you for supporting The Trust. Um, I think we've all seen the Red Arrows in action in one shape or form, whether it's on film or in reality. And I have to say that every time you see them, they are spectacular. And I thought it would be good to find out what goes on behind the scenes, what keeps these aircraft flying, service, maintenance, and such like. So I think we're about to find out tonight. So, would you please welcome, we've got two for the price of one, as you've seen here. So, will you please welcome Flight Lieutenant Marcus Ramsden and Flight Sergeant Barry Ramsden? Gentlemen.
1: Good evening, my phone works, thank you very much, thank you Steve, Uh, good evening everyone, I'm 510 with Marcus Ramsden, newly promoted Warrant Officer Barry Ramsden is joining me tonight, unfortunately we're not father and son, even though we share the same surname, Uh, I'm going to start off with an apology first of all, Uh, every good presentation starts with an apology, so unfortunately I had an updated presentation tonight, Especially motorsport themed, uh, which has crashed. However, I've got a backup one, and I do apologise, but hopefully it will hit the hit the nail on the head tonight. But we'll start off uh, with a massive thank you for inviting us down to Brooklyn's absolute pre- pleasure for us to both be here tonight. Fantastic um, museum that we walked around earlier, seeing the old embankment. It's just incredible and what what you've done with the Concourse is absolutely fantastic. But we'll start the presentation. So just what we're going to run through tonight, uh, go through the team history, about the team, uh, how we select the pilots, a little bit about the aircraft, how we do our thing, our formation flying, um, some display, and our roles and responsibilities. Uh, yes, again, I just want to apologise, I've not done this presentation for a year, we've got a slightly different format, so I'll uh, try and do the best I can. My name's Marcus, and I'm an engineer. Uh, this presentation is going to last approximately 45 to 50 minutes. After that, I'll invite Barry back up and I'll answer any question and answers, that I'll answer any questions. Hopefully you've be good. good nature. So a little bit about me. Uh, Marcus, born in North Yorkshire, so I was born in York. Uh, lived there the majority of my life. Uh, went to Yonge School up in the Northeast uh, and then went up to Northumbria University uh, to study Mechanical Engineering. Uh, whilst I was at university, I joined the University Air Squadron, which gave me a real exposure of what the Air Force does. Uh, learned how to fly, uh, and it really inspired me and drove my passion to then join the uh, RAF. Joined in 2009, and as I said, I became an uh, engineering officer after 30 weeks of initial officer training. From there, so I was posted out about 26, you know, 27 years old uh, to RAF Warnington, which is <coughs> in Lincolnshire where I was in charge of General Engineering flight. Uh, I was thinking, what does General Engineering flight do when I arrived. Uh, First day, introduced to my squadron, so I was in charge of 75 individuals. Uh, All the ground support equipment for RF Waddington, so the snow plows, the power sets, the generators, uh, everything, air conditioning rigs, and I thought, "Oh, yeah, this is uh, is quite real now. What did RAF Wellington do at the time? Well, they had all the intelligence surveillance, uh, target acquisition, and the aircraft, so the Nimrod, the Sentry, and when I couldn't give them power sets, the aircraft didn't go flying. So, at an early age, I had a massive responsibility and I got reminded of that when they didn't have the power sets. <laughs> uh, from then, I, I then went out to Varian to Oman uh, to look after the engineering support flights, a little bit more um, experience, a little bit more responsibility. So when we were away at 902 expeditionary air wing, I was responsible for all the engineering support for operations over Afghanistan. So we had VC-10, uh, which is retired, Trisar, retired, uh, but also the Sentinel, which is one of our newest capability aircraft at the bottom of the screen. So we were sending all of the high-value assets away from Oman over to Afghanistan, supporting the troops on the ground, and I did that for a six-month period. Came back, I was posted to 11 Squadron, uh, Eurofighter Typhoon at RAF Coningsby, uh, where we were responsible for the quick reaction alert uh, 365 days of the year, 24-7. For those that don't know what well, a quick reaction alert is, we have two aircraft stood at 10 minutes notice to move at comming speed and also at Aussie Mel. So if there's any uh, hostile aircraft that come into our UK airspace, a buzzer goes and then they've got to be airborne within 10 minutes, 24-7. So, uh, yes, again, a massive responsibility for myself I was in charge of the, the day-to-day engineering looking after um, a troop of 75 individuals and 12 aircraft uh, which are valued at 75 million per aircraft, so for a 29 year old um, it, it was fantastic. Uh, we did a number of operations and deployments, we went over to uh, Las Vegas for exercise Red Flag. Uh, not just Las Vegas, but um, a big two-month exercise. First time the Eurofighter Typhoon had ever gone away to the States to fight against the F-22 and a number of their other adversaries, F-16s, and the Typhoon really went onto the uh, the forefront and people started recognizing it as a fighter ground and ground and reconnaissance aircraft. We did a number of uh, operations, as I mentioned, went away for Opoluminus a few years ago, for those that remember, when we took eight typhoons over to Cyprus when Syria was kicking off. So we were there, uh, deployed within a 24 hour period, eight aircraft on the ground, all uh, strapped up with bombs, ready to go on operations. But the government were called back, and that uh, that operation didn't go ahead. After 11th Squadron, I was lucky enough to be called forward to an interview and then became the Red Arrow's Junior Engineering Officer, or Jengo as it's saying, abbreviated to. Morals and responsibilities are looking after all the day-to-day engineering, so if there's not nine aircraft up, it's my fault, Uh, which, touch wood, doesn't happen uh, that often, but we've got a team of uh, around about 90 engineers made up of avionics, mechanical and weapons-based engineers, and I'll go into the why we have weapons engineers in a little bit. Um, 11 aircraft in total, so it's quite a burden to try and get the nine aircraft up three or four times a day, but I'll go into more detail uh, later on in the presentation. So where did it all begin? Why have we got the red arrows, and how how has it come from the past? Um, it all started off um, from the Black Arrows. So the Black Arrows, uh, sorry, round about uh, the 1950s, post-war, a lot of the squadrons had a lot of aircraft and a lot of free time. So they decided to uh, come up with aerobatic teams. It got a little bit unruly, so more aircraft, we're better than you. Oh, we've got even more aircraft. so we're even better than you. But we'll paint them black, we'll paint them blue, we'll paint them yellow. So it was a real contest between all the different squadrons to come up with the best aerobatic team within the RAF. Pictured here is a number 111 squadron, or the Tremblers, number 1 squadron, in 1956 and they had a fallen uh, aircraft painted in black known as the Black Arrows. Um, they, they were the first team to do a 22 uh, aircraft barrel roll. So 22 of them in formation, what, barrel roll, and they still hold the record now. We also had the Red Pelicans formed in 1964, flying six Jet pilots air, aircraft. We saw the JP out the back, which brought uh, a smile to my face. So they, the Central Flying School, were the governing body, or well, are the governing body, of how the pilots learn to fly. So it's all governed by CFS like you have when you're a racing driver, you've got the LSA, their governing body. And they formed a team called the Red Pelicans by six uh, jet bombers. The Yellow Jacks uh, were also formed in 1964, and they flew the Nuts in yellow aircraft, and nicknamed the Yellow Jacks after Lieutenant Lee Jones, whose call sign was Yellow Jack. So there we've got the Black Arrows, we've got the uh, Red Pelicans, and the Yellow jack. so you can start. Painted a picture of all the contests between them, the different display teams. In 1964, they decided enough is enough, we're going to have one display team uh, showing the Air Force's brilliance and excellence, and we're going to name them the Red Arrows. <coughs> red, uh, why were they painted red? Well, they decided red was a better colour that could be seen in the sky when aircraft were flying about. So they painted the Yellow Jacks red. Uh, they also said the red was to pay tribute to the red pelicans, uh, as we just saw. So they took the red element from the red pelicans, painted the yellow jacks red, and then took the, the cool name from the black arrows to form the red arrows. And as mentioned in 1964, we had seven aircraft flying which were known as the red arrows. Uh, sorry. Uh, Then in 1979, we got the famous Hawk that you see now, the Hawk VA Systems Hawk T1. So we've got some of the original Hawk aircraft still flying with us, and they're over 40 years old. So we don't have state of the art -art aircraft, however, they are perfect for what we try and achieve. Royal Air Force Aerobatic Team, as we're known within the service, or nicknamed the Red Arrows. So we're officially, we're all Air Force members. We come from a series of backgrounds, and that picture kind of uh, visualises the, uh, the colours and the, um, the difference between the pilots and the support teams. Now, you're wondering why I'm also wearing a blue suits, not red suits, as we call the red arrows. So, the pilots, the team pilots 1 to 11, uh, wear the famous red flying suits, and all the support elements wear the blue suits. The support elements are made up by mechanical transport drivers, engineers, photographers, suppliers, uh, photographic section. So I just wanted to put this picture up because it really visualises. It's not just about the the nine pilots that you see flying at the air shows, it's the whole 120 personnel it takes to get the nine aircraft on a daily basis. And that just shows you a million (laughs) people. Uh, the next picture, so it's uh, the whole squadron is headed up by a wing commander, wing commander Martin Higgins, and he is known as Red 11. He's the OC of the squadron officer commanding, so he's responsible for the pilots and all the support elements. He then has a number of executive officers which are all the squadron leader around. Red 1, who's the team leader, so he is in charge of the display pilots, the nine including him. The senior engineering officer, who is my boss, uh, and he looks at the strategic part of engineering, whereas I'm more day-to-day, the tactical element. Red 10, who is the uh, team supervisor, the team manager, which is in charge of the corporate element, uh, squadron leader, Kate Driscoll, and the public relations manager, Andy Morton, because PR is a massive part of what we do, because uh, without that, you wouldn't know what we'd do but I'll go into more detail later. Yeah. Here. So the engineers then, mechanical, avionics and weapons based tradesmen. So the mechanical uh, tradesmen obviously look after the mechanical parts, uh, all the hammers and bolts and uh, widgets. AVs, all the very squiggly lines, zeros and ones that normally break. And the weapons based, so we've got two ejection seats in the aircraft and that's why we need weapons based engineers to look after the explosive elements in, on the ejection seats. For those that aren't familiar with an ejection seat, it's a seat with a massive rocket strapped to the, back of the bottom of it. If you pull the handle, your heart will then go down in the region of two inches, your spine will be compressed by two inches, and within half a second you've propelled 200 feet out of the aircraft and then descended on a parachute. Why do we have it? Well it's there to save our lives, and it's very important, it's a piece of kit on the, on the jet, as you can imagine. So I'm going to touch on to the engineering part, as I'm an engineer. So, flight servicing is just knocked off now with the screen, apologies. So flight servicing, so much like a Formula One um, team, we have our own Formula One pit crew, or known as lineys, so alignment, linesmen, which will spend the time on the, uh, on the line, uh, or on the pit lane, effectively, uh, looking up for the aircraft, so they'll do all the spanner checks on the aircraft before they go flying, so making sure they've got the correct engine oil in, the correct amount of hydraulic oil, uh, making sure that all the uh, accumulators and reservoirs uh, are all fit for purpose, all the tyres are at the correct pressure, uh, they've got enough wear on, similar to you, um, similar to getting a Formula 1 uh, car out on track, so we have a number of individuals that look after getting the aircraft up. We also do our depth maintenance, which is almost the winter maintenance for the Formula One team. So when they take the cars back to, say, Woking and uh, McLaren, and they do the deep strips of the aircraft, we do exactly the same. Um, so deep strips of the cars, we do exactly the same for the aircraft as well. Every hour that the aircraft flies requires about 17 maintenance man hours to then regenerate it back into the aircraft. So. Yes, seven hours seems quite a lot, but compared to Eurofighter Typhoon, it's around about 24 maintenance man hours per hour it flies. So it's quite a reliable aircraft. I mentioned about every hour it flies, it dictates some sort of engineering, but also every calendar it um, tips on requires some sort of engineering. So every three months the aircraft gets washed, or every 10 flying hours we check the brake. Um, brake reservoirs to make sure they're correctly bred and they've got hydraulic pressure for the brakes. So that's it's not just a simple case of pulling the aircraft out and sending away flying. You've got to do some sort of engineering for every hour it flies. We also do a series of maintenance programs throughout the winter. So they could be through a, from a three days maintenance package all the way out to a three month maintenance package where everything is stripped back to the bare bones uh, we replace certain components, which are going by fatigue life. we rebuild it, uh, and then send it back up. And that's a constant rolling program. So we've always got an aircraft in deep overhaul. So I mentioned earlier that we've only got 11 aircraft. Well, take one that's always on deep overhaul, that only actually gives you 10 to play with. So you start to appreciate some of the pressures that we, uh, that we have. Every year um, a number of engineers are then selected to become circus, although it's a flying circus. Uh, And it's my additional duty to lead circus throughout the display team, uh, throughout the display season. So judging by their merits, engineers are then selected for circus and we get the privilege to sit in the back seat of the aircraft to transit uh, during the display season. And I get to fly with Red One throughout the UK. So, I'll give you an example of, yeah, let's let's go for Thursday, so Thursday, get up, go to work, get the aircraft ready, tow them out, check that they're in an airworthy flight, uh, fit for flight condition, I will then jump in the back with Ren One, we'll fly down to Farmer, which is just above London, we'll jump out, there, the pilots will go away and do their safety briefs, I will then fill the aircraft up with With my team, get the aircraft ready. The jets will then depart to the Goodwood Festival of Speed display. We'll then come back to Farnborough, we'll get the jets ready again, and then we'll jump back in and then we'll go off to Bournemouth, uh, taking that red arrow's air display element round the UK. And we can quite easily do that. We've got about a thousand miles range. We can't air to air refuel, so we'll just then land if we need to go further afield refuel and then push on but over the next five days I'm going, well we're doing Goodwood twice uh, we're doing Cleefault on Forces Day on Saturday we're doing a fly past over London on uh, Saturday afternoon and then we're going to Belgium on Sunday so that's my next five days which is amazing uh, the other elements of support staff so we've got the safety equipment section which look after the helmets uh, inflatable um life support jacket so if the pilot ejected over water he's got a survival life support jacket or a life raft uh, sorry a life jacket uh, and he's also got inflatable g trousers so the g trousers are plugged into the ejection seat and they uh, lead off air from the engin- aircraft's engine and go through a series of valves whenever the pilot pulls g uh, so the hard calls uh, he induces centrifugal, centrifugal force and then he's got weight pressing down a bit on him. We experience in the region of 7 to, seven to 9 G, uh, so that's nine times your body weight pressing down on you. The G-plants inflate and push the blood back up the body because if we didn't have it, the blood would drain away from the head and you'd black out. So they have to go through a series of tensing and straining strain manoeuvres with the G Pans to force the blood back up into the head during the demand of the uh, display flying period. We also have the top uh, photographic uh, stuff, We take pictures on the ground and also in the air. And we've got the dye team as well, and I'll mention what the dye team do later on in the presentation. Road support, so it's a logistical nightmare. It's not only the aircraft that have to go to different uh, locations, it's also we need to take spares, tyres, equipment, dye, etc. So we've got two optic trucks that then go our way around the country to make sure we've got the rest, the correct tools, test equipment, and personnel at the right location at the right time. So the team pilots then. Uh, There's nine display pilots, we don't have any reserves, so they are selected to fly uh, for three years and they'll start off uh, at the front of the formation, move back with their experience, and then after uh, the three years they'll go back to the RAF. We're all serving members of the Air Force, all frontline pilots, and how do you become a Red Arrows pilot? So they've all on Merit effectively, they've got a lot of experience, so they've got to have 1,500 flying hours experience, uh, operational experience, uh, sorry, you know, 1,500 flying hours experience, fast jet, uh, fast jet experience, operations, and also assessed above average in the air. So every year they get a report uh, on their flying ability, and if they're assessed above average, then they've got the criteria to apply. Come from various backgrounds. We've got typhoon pilots, we've got harrier pilots, and tornado pilots. Um, and as I mentioned, they only do three years and turn around every year. Ahead. So three will go out, we'll take three on, and they do a rolling program. So on average, we have about 40 applicants that apply. So 1,500 flight hours, fast operational experience, and also assess above average in the air. Uh, that they'll then go and we're the only squadron in the Air Force that self picks the new members of the team so 40 applicants come in all the pilots will sit down and it's pilot A, pilot B pilot C, so we don't know their personalities, we then read their brag sheets and then 10 of them are then selected for what's known as the best week of their lives or the best if it goes well or the worst week lives, which is known as shortlist. So we've come away to the disciples of Greece with us for a week period, uh, and you are probably wondering why do you need a week to select the pilot? Well, we do a number of flying tests, so they do a number of aerobatic flying, uh, with Red 1 as the lead, and then they'll sit in the back of Red 9's aircraft, and we'll go, there you go, do a loop, formating off Red 1? Yes, they have not had a lot of formation client experience, especially in aerobatics, but we're looking for raw potential talent. We then go for an interview process, uh, and also peer assessment. So at the end of the week, pilots will come to me and go, "So Marcus, what do you think of Joe Bloggs? How did he get on? Did he socialize with the engineers? What do you think of him? It's so important for, for us to select the right person, because we often have 12, 14, 16 hour days for six months during the display period, uh, during the display season, living out of each other's pockets and staying in hotels together. So if you don't have the right person for the job, the dynamic could be quite easily unsettled, and they could cause rift in the team. So that's why we do such a rigorous selection process for the pilots. The aircraft then, B A systems, t team one. Built in the UK with a Rolls-Royce, a door engine, also built in the UK. So it's, hopefully, you'll start to see the picture being painted about we are really the best of British and we we'll are trying to take the best of British brand wherever we go. It was a fast jet training aircraft. Uh, apologies, that the screen the slides are being updated, but 208 Squadron used to, to use this aircraft as a twin-seater fast jet training aircraft. So the pilot would join up, start off in propelled aircraft uh, on the tutor, move to the Tucano a bit more performance, still on a twin, uh, sorry, on a piston turboprop engine, uh, and then they would move to the Hawk. Student sits in the, in the back, pilot sits, sorry, the instructor sits in the back, pilot, trainee sits in the front, and it's their first real experience of how to fly a your aircraft. Unfortunately, c 8 will close in April, May this year, so we no uh, no longer use the T1 as a training aircraft. We've got Hawk T2, which is the replacement. Um, our purpose is great because when closing the squadron, means we've got more spares by. <laughs> and our main modifications that we do to the aircraft, we have a smoke generation pod, uh, which I'll show you in a minute and also we have we increase the throttle responsiveness to give a faster spool rate or acceleration so the constant changes that they do have got more acceleration from the engine to stay in formation. So the smoke pods. So how do we get smoke? The white is diesel, uh, which then gets piped under pressure from the engine up through the aircraft fuselage structure and then vaporises in the jetty flux. So around about 400 plus degree, degrees, vaporises and gives you the iconic white smoke. Red is red, uh, red dye and diesel, because there's red diesel though, but that'd be bad. And then the blue, is blue dye and diesel are mixed together. We have about five minutes of white, one minute of red, and one minute of blue per aircraft. So when you see the show is 23 minutes in length uh, and you always see smoke visually happening in front of you it takes a real amount of artwork and uh, prep work to make sure that they don't run out of smoke. They, uh, They do a lot of work during the season to make sure the amount of smoke that they use is carefully tailored and mastered and critiqued to ensure that we've always got some sort of visual spectacle. So the smoke indication, I'm going to a go little laser pointing. So on the left hand side and the right hand side of the cockpit we've got a visual red, white and blue buttons. So the press the button uh, and that will give an indication that you've got uh, your smoke is either on or off. This picture really um, shows you how old school the cockpit is. Said it was 40 years old, the aircraft, so it reminds me of going up into the Concorde earlier. So, similar gauges, um, but for our purposes, we describe it as a classic Mini. So, really, uh, really sporty, uh, reliable, good handling. Whereas a Eurofighter Typhoon is much like the uh, modern Formula One cars. But for what we need to do is Raw flying. And we don't need defensive areas, we don't need radars, we don't need missiles, bombs, uh, anything like that. We just need a really reliable aircraft that we can generate three times a day, and that's what the Hawk does, and the pilots absolutely love to fly it. Uh, I mentioned that the T1 is no longer in service with uh, in the training hall, but a T2, which would potentially be our replacement for the VA Systems 128 uh, T2 Hawk, uh, it costs around 27 million pounds per aircraft. So for the government to go, we're going to give you replacement aircraft, you'll we'll need 15, so which will be kept in storage and a roll in maintenance pro- uh, programs, at 27 million pounds a pop, or 28 million pounds a pop. It, you can see it's a massive burden um, for the government. Uh, but but Hawk one which we're flying at the moment, going through the maintenance programs that we have, and uh, I predict we will be flying it till around twenty thirty. So we've got lots of years left to fly with it uh, and the pilots love to fly it. The mod- modifications though instead of your missiles, bombs and the blue ones speaking to air traffic control, uh, we modified them so the missiles uh, is gone for red smoke, white and blue smoke. So it's just a press and uh, it's just a press the button button on. Smoke on, button off, smoke off, and that gives you the tail smoke pipe. So they, that's where the the pipes come out of the aircraft, and then with the jet, e flux it vaporizes and gives the red, white, and blue smoke. So how do we fly? It's not magnets. It's definitely not computers, as you've seen inside the cockpit. It's all done by the mark one eyeball hand. Hands and feet. So left to I'll go over this. Hope everyone see. To uh, to turn the aircraft, it's input by the control column side to side, so that will roll the aircraft. Pitch, pulling forward or aft, will pitch the aircraft up and down, and yaw, which is turn the aircraft around the axis side to side is done by his rudder pedals. Red One is the team leader, so he's been a team pilot before, he's then selected to come back as Red One and lead the team, and he leads the formation in the Red One position. Everyone else formates from him. They have a series of reference points, uh, which they will then look at uh, and fly in, and as long as they're in those reference points, no matter if they're going upside down, side to side, or rolling, hopefully the aircraft will stay in that fixed position. They do that by a number of reference points. So the forward edge of the uh, intake on the right hand side, they will actually, they've got a, they look at the leading edge and then the crest, and as long as the leading edge of the intake is halfway through the crest, they know how far forward they are. They then have, on the rear end of the aircraft, look along the tail plane, so they've now got two fixed reference points. So as long as they've got that front reference point, the back reference point, they know they're roughly in position. But then they can even then go on a diagonal away uh, and they need a third reference point. And it's just like um, when you go map, uh, sorry, hill walking, uh, looking at reference points on the ground and then you've got your three reference points with your compass and you're in a fixed location. So then they go for underneath the plane, uh, sorry, the wing. They actually look for a screw third um, third uh, fairing in bottom screw, and then the three reference points that they fly out. I mentioned that they all fly off red one. So when we're in our long formations, which can span over to 800 feet, red one calls all of the uh, formation maneuvers and he does that by his uh, cadence in his voice. So he'll say, red's uh, rolling to the right now. And he puts a pause in there. Why does he do that? So the pilots on the outside uh, can then preempt the input. If everyone went on the, uh, the voice tone now, so you've got red one in the middle, two or three, so they've started moving, but by six and seven uh, further out, and eight and nine, by the, all the time by the time they're here now, you're gonna get some sort of a Mexican wave as everyone's going, oh he's up there, I'm gonna try and keep in there the throttle and I've got stick to think about it is just too much. So they go off the cadence of his voice. So red's rolling now. At the start of the no the outside people will start uh, preempting and start putting flying control movements in to preempt the maneuver. Then at the uh the further ones in the middle uh, will start rolling from the whoop now, then they'll start going. So, hopefully, uh, in a nice uniform fashion, we'll get all nine aircraft pivoting around red one in the middle. I said there were five reference points, uh, and it's all smooth inputs and corrections, so it's constantly chasing up and down on the throttle to get in those reference points. Uh, and the common errors are width, so too wide from red 1, length, too far back, depth, too deep or up, and time. We also have down it, which is the diagonal, or up it, which is coming up to, to the aircraft. So as long as you've got those three reference points, you can lock yourself in, and hopefully you, uh, you won't be out of formation. Everything that we do is filmed. So I mentioned we've got photographers. So every display that we go to, we have a photographer on on the ground, filming the display, uh, so the pilot's thinking, then take that away and self-critique the the display. What they're trying to rule out is any consistent errors. So they're trying to uh, achieve perfection, or our motto, our French motto, the bottom of our display press. sorry, is uh, brilliance or a clap to in excellence in French. So that's what they're trying to achieve. So you're on the ground, you're going over Goodwood on Friday, you, you have your camera, you take a picture, and what we are trying to give you is that per- perfect picture of all aircraft, equally spaced out, uh, all smokes on at the same time, all with the right colour, and that's what we're trying to achieve. Excellence or is brilliance. So, I mentioned about Red 1, so he's the team leader, uh, sat at the front and uh, is in the top aircraft. And then further back in the, uh, on the formation, the numbers then de- decrease. So we've got new pilots who have joined this year, they fill the Red 2 and 3 uh, positions. Uh, also we've got another, uh, a number of other second-year pilots, Red 4 and Red 5. And then the back four, uh, sorry, front five, which I've just mentioned, multi and 5, are known as Enid, after Enid Lighton's famous five. <laughs> and Jippo, which are the back four, six, seven, eight, and nine. We don't exactly know where the Jippo tour came from, but it was said that Jippo came in after a display and they were looking not the rosiest they were quite scruffy and they were known that the team leader or the boss at the time said go you sort yourselves out you look like a bunch of If uh, i can't actually say officially that's where the term jiffo came from but that is 6789 the people that you'll see the uh, more dynamic maneuvers so the people that do the heart um, that is six and seven and they're known as the synchro pair. So we've got the, uh, the pilots, they join up, stick uh, Sticker 2 and 3, second year they'll move back to 4 and 5. At the end of the first year, one pilot is selected to become synchro in his second year. He will then become Red 7, learning all the maneuvers from Red 6, and then in his final third year, he'll move, move up to 6, and then he'll take on the second year as an apprentice. Red 8 and 9 are our third year pilots. So we have smoke trails, uh, diesel and dyes are mentioned. The reason why is we have for spectacle and also for safety. So every, all the display pilots can see where the aircrafts are uh, during a display so there's no confliction and also to give that visual spectacle on the ground. The year is split up into three periods. So we start off in winter winterline, from the end of our display uh, season in September, and we'll start off with two aircraft, so red one and two. We'll then build it up to three aircraft, four, five, likewise. We don't actually do our first nine ship, nine aircraft practice till February. We fly three times a day, five days a week, based at our home base area of Scampton, in Lincolnshire. And we'll then deploy an exercise spring walk, uh, which is taking the nine ship element all the engineers and support staff overseas to Greece. So unfortunately we can't go to Cyprus anymore due to the ongoing operations over Syria and Iraq. So we've gone to Greece for the past two years. And that gives us a real opportunity to hone and polish the show, looking for that brilliance and excellence. We'll fly three times a day, five days a week, uh, six weeks, constantly putting the display in, just looking for that perfection and really polishing the show. Pilots will come in, they'll brief the flight, they'll look for consistent errors uh, where they'll actually stop the video, get rulers out, and measure and go, Red Three, what are you doing? You need to sort yourself out. It's not always Red Three. Um, but in that debrief uh, cycle, they'll refer to each other as numbers. They do that to take the personality out of the equation, so if Tom uh, read 7, Tom, you're down it, it's the third time you've done it, you, you need to get up more in this formation, he smokes around out late, taking the name out of the equation takes the personality away from it, so in that debrief it's really intense, referring to as numbers, but as soon as they come out of the briefing to refer to each other in by first name terms and that's just to take any personality out of it because it gets quite intensive because we're trying to achieve perfection. We also do a number of corporate days, uh, industry visits, um, yeah. local supporters, passengers, presentations and charity visits. Uh, unfortunately, this slide's not got the updated version of it but I mentioned about the breast of British so last year, uh, sorry, two years ago, there was a, um, a vote in the UK, what is the top 50 things that make Britain great? So there was the uh, Double Decker Bus, Westminster, The Queen, bacon Sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I think bacon Sandwich came number one. Um, fish and chips, cup of tea, and Red Arrows were in there. We've, um, which is good. Uh, and we redesigned our tail fin last year uh, with the Union Jack, um, do this. for those that haven't seen, we've got the Union Jack now on the back of our tail fin. And that really encompasses everything about the Breast of the British. So we're trying to take the British brand overseas to uh, increase uh, diplomatic and military sales, inspire the next generation and promote the Royal Air Force. So, it's the three lines that we try and achieve diplomatic and military, inspire the next generation because without it, I wouldn't be stood here uh, presenting to you and also uh, showing the best of what the Air Force can do because we're all Air Force members. At the end of Exercise Springboard, when we're in Greece or Cyprus, uh, we're awarded our public display authority. So, all the way from September through to May, we just wear a Stundall REF working dress. The pilots wear green suits, we normally normally wearing overalls, quite good and loyal. And at the end of that dis- uh, period, we have the Air Force board, the head of the REF comes out, uh, assesses us over a three-day period, uh, and if he deems us fit and safe to display to the public, we're given our public display authority, so our permission to go display to the public. Pilots are given their red suits and we are given our iconic blue uh, flying suits as well. We then embark onto a five-month display season, uh, starting in May, running all the way through to September. This year we, um, we've got 79 displays planned for the year uh, and in the region of 60 flypasts. So we did the Queen's Birthday fly pass, not know if you saw that two weeks ago. Um, which was absolutely incredible for Her well, Majesty's nineteenth birthday, and a massive privilege for me to be sat in the back of the Red one again. So something that I will uh, treasure forever. Uh, just on, um, I'll come back to it, actually. Uh, so the Red Iris display season this year is twenty-three minutes in length, uh, and we changed the display depending on the weather. So if it's completely blue skies, it's looking absolutely brilliant. We'll do a full display, and that's where we can get the big iconic shapes, a heart in there, and big rolling manoeuvres. We need over, uh, we need up to five and a half thousand feet uh, of airspace to do a full show. A rolling is up to two and a half thousand feet, and that's if we've got uh, if the clouds are further down. We can't do our full of manoeuvres, so we'll tailor the show not so big moving, but almost at a diagonal so that we can get some sort of element in. Or a flat display is when the cloud is really far down and we need about a thousand feet of the cloud. cloud. Um, it's normally when it's raining, but we do tailor the show to make sure we can get some sort of visual spect- spectacle in for the crowd. 23 minutes in length, split into two halves. The first half, which is the nine aircraft, doing the iconic diamond nine shape, uh, all moving around with different formations. But what sets us apart from the other display teams is there is always a visual spectacle in front of the crowd. The blue angels will go around and will change shapes or formation shapes and then come back in. Uh, same with um, a, a couple of other display teams. Right. The, the, the true de France, the French team do it um, in front but they also need to go away and change shape off away from the crowd. What sets us apart is we do everything in front of the crowd. So no matter where you're looking for the whole 23 minutes there's some sort of spectacle happening. Um, move into formation shapes and we can change from a flat display if it started raining, then all of a sudden sun puts his hat on and there's glorious blue skies, we can do we can go straight into our uh, rolling or full element that's something that other display teams can't do. The second half of the show, so the last 90, sorry, about 16 minutes, is the dynamic, where you see the jets flying in at 800 miles per hour closing speed, opposition rolls, uh, heart shape, uh, synchro passing, so you can see there, six and seven passing at the bottom of the screen. And it's uh, Red 6, con- commands his JIPO section, and Red 1 commands the Enid section in the second half of the display. It's crucial that we've got the timings and the liaison between Red 1 and Red 6, always to ensure that continuous element that I've just mentioned. So I touched on that uh, earlier, so a typical day, so five days of the week, from May to September, the jets are deployed away from our operating base, at RAF Scampton, and we'll go taking the aircraft away, projecting the air power and display element of the Red Arrows, European-wide uh, and UK-wide, uh, making sure everyone on the ground can see us. So this is a typical day. taking them off from Scampton, go to Bournemouth, display at Bournemouth, uh, then transit from Bournemouth up to Newcastle to do the Great North Run pass, display at South Shields, and then back home evening, potentially go to another aircraft. And that happens five days a week. On the odd days, so it can be a Monday, Tuesday, or a Tuesday, Wednesday, that's when we'll do our engineering to get the aircraft ready for the next period. And we'll do that for a five-month five period, as I just mentioned. Some of that uh, roles and responsibility that I touched upon. So... Uh, we've got a relationship with British industry, so we're trying to take that British brand, the Great Great Britain campaign, overseas to increase diplomatic and military sales, and that's one of our core, core roles. This year we're talking about going to China for the first, uh, first time, uh, which the aircraft have never done, so it's going to be a two-month tour over to China, no air-to-air refueling, at a thousand mile... Uh, duration period which is going to take a heck of a lot of uh, planning and engineering to get there, but it shows you that we're not just limited to the UK so we're going to there's a lot of government deals in the last year with potential Chinese uh, industry building car stations in the UK and we're going over to take the British brand and uh, the British Great Britain campaign over to China to try and do some uh, reciprocal deals we to British industry, so we've got a British aircraft, VAC uh, System aircraft, a Rolls-Royce British engine, and we're trying to demonstrate that excellence and professionalism of the armed forces in the UK as well. We've got separate, several different countries that all want to part of the Royal Air Force because they see us as the best in the world. So we have a number of shapes um, that will put their sons um, through our military, enge- uh, military officer training uh, to make sure they are the best that they can be and take that away so when they go back to their home country On my engineering training I had a number of Omanis on my course uh, who did incredibly well and they all in quite nicely four years ago when we saw 12 typhoons uh, Eurofighter Typhoons built by BAE to so really see it's not just about putting shapes in the sky it's about taking that uh, engineering British industry exports part around the world. We've got some responsibilities with the exports that like I've said uh, promoting the armed forces and that diplomatic engagement which hopefully we'll do on the way to China and back again. Uh, and that is exactly the same as Uh, On the ground, uh, when we can do, we'll uh, do as much as we can do. So on Friday, uh, we're doing a display over Goodwood in the morning. The aircraft will then come back to Farnborough. Uh, And then the the pilots are going into Goodwood for five hours on the Friday afternoon, where we get to meet the public. We'll do some autograph sessions, and it's all about inspiring that next generation which I was talking about. Try and promote individuals to join the armed forces uh, because without that inflow of people, we wouldn't have the military that we have uh, today. The people mentioning about inspiring the next generation is something that we hold quite close to our heart this year. Science, technology, engineering, and maths, all known as STEM, without promoting STEM, which is what we're trying to promote this year. By 2020, the UK will have a shortfall of 900,000 engineers. So we need to address that shortfall now. Get individuals and children to study engineering, technology, maths and science at university, because without that, the UK is going to be in a real struggle in 2020. So we're trying to do a lot of STEM activities as well. A week on Monday ago, we had a, an event at of Scampton. Three hundred schoolchildren came up with twenty-eight uh, UK business t- uh, business partnerships: uh, Rolls Royce, uh, Mercedes F1, uh, BA Systems, to try and address that shortfall. Uh, with Rachel Riley, who was one of the patrons for the day, it was a huge success in raising the press. Address the shortfall. On the uh, screens, you've got the pilots um, doing some PR, also the blues, the engineers doing some uh, horse as well. Uh, one of the pilots ran the Great Wolf Run a few years ago, uh, and you can just really see that bottom right picture the uh, amount of crowd that are interested in these things. I'm just going to touch on what we can do. Uh, apologies, it's not the most to date stuff, but uh, you can just Hopefully you get an idea of how we can project the Royal Air Force Red Arrows UK brand. So in 2012 we did the Olympic Games opening ceremony over London for their 2012 games. Queen's Diamond Jubilee, uh, obviously we did the fly pass Her Majesty uh, a week ago on Saturday. Uh, we've taken the brand over to the United States. Middle East in 2013. So as long as we've got fuel, we can take that uh, UK Red Arrows brand overseas. I'm just going to summarise uh, now um, about the Red Arrows. I hope you enjoyed the presentation. But the main goals that we've got, just to re-emphasise them, is taking that UK British brand overseas, inspiring the next generation, and also promoting the best of our armed forces. Well, that concludes the presentation. Um, I'm inviting Marcus Ransom. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to invite um, Barry Ransom now to join me. I look forward to taking any questions from the audience. Ladies and gentlemen, Marcus Ransom.
0: Yes, sir. Glenn, quick. Thanks very much, Sue. Um, quick question. On one of your slides, you mentioned about passengers. Is it possible to buy a passenger?
1: Uh, (laughs) Unfortunately not. Unless we'll go outside and you might buy me a (laughs) nice chair. No, unfortunately not. Um, Just due due to the risks that are involved in the uh, display, we don't actually take passengers. There's been a number of serving. that do fly with us during our practice period, uh, but they won't sit in the back during a public display. Why do they do that? Well, it's so they can get a real snapshot of what the Red Arrow is about and then hopefully inspire them to apply to the team. But no, unfortunately, no members of the public do, uh, do fly with us. We have taken a number of VIPs before, but that was to, like Lewis Hamilton and David Coulthard, but that was to promote the sorts of work. Yes. Another question. question,
0: yeah. Can us ask about finance? Finance, it's
1: yes. the uh, good that's coming Do they contribute to your costs, or is it all taxpayer funding? I can answer that, yes. It's not all taxpayer funding. So, um, the fuel, uh, the engineering, the, the cost for us is all provided by the MOD. So, we're all serving our individuals, and We'd get fuel the same way as we did if I had a Eurofighter Typhoon or Hawk. Goodwood, as you mentioned, they may pay a nominal fee to have the Red Arrows there. And that will only cover our travel and subsist- subsistence for the event. So we don't make any money from it. We're not a charity. We are just RAF serving individuals. So yes, it may cover subsistence. For accommodation for some of the PR elements, but we don't make any money from it. Okay. Neil?
0: Yes, um, same thing on finance. Do you have a strict budget from the government and do you manage to stay within it? Very good, very good
1: question. (laughs) We have got a budget that we stick to. um, I can't go into details, but it is small scale and for the amounts of Benefit that the team gives back to the UK um, and also the RAF, it is minuscule compared to my former one, yeah. But because the aircraft are so reliable, 40 years old already, and we're looking at using for another 15 years, I think you can't really put a price on the team for the value that it gives back to the UK. I should let you into the secret that Neil works for McLaren.
0: Thank you very much indeed for an excellent presentation. Um, you mentioned three references, reference points. Does Red Seven have an additional one possibly? Top
1: right in the of the formation uh, and underneath everybody else? he he does he changes his reference point, but he'll always he'll still have the three reference points. So red seven top to the back, I think I'll just go back to the screen. This should work. Computer wizardry. There you go, so yeah, that's, that's just one of the formation shapes, so that's our iconic Diamond 9 shape. So he, he won't be looking at Red 6, he'll be looking straight to Red 1. So everyone formates off Red 1, no matter where they are. He'll also have, looking out of the corners of his eye, just at 8 and 9, just to get a sense of where they are. All the pilots fly in a box, so as long as that jet stays in the box, they've got 100% trust, so seven's looking ahead, nine's looking diagonally to one, eight and nine. If seven has a wobble, as long as he stays in the box, eight and nine are looking at him, but if he gets out of that box airspace, red seven will just pull up and escape the maneuver. So they practice a number of uh, emergency routes, um, just in case something, but they've got to have 100% reliance and trust on each other. What I didn't mention is, we change the formation shape uh, quite often every, well, almost every 20 to 30 seconds during the displays, uh, display sequence of 23 minutes. And we often, we can bring in different shapes depending on what we're trying to achieve. Last year was the 75th anniversary for the Battle of Britain, so we had the iconic Spitfire shape. Uh, and we're potentially going over to China this year, we bought a uh, maneuvering called the Swan, and also we've got a manoeuvre called the Tornado to celebrate 35 years of continuous operations from the Tornado jet. So we can change them and tailor-make the shapes depending on what we're trying to achieve strategically during the year as well. Thank you. I think the gentleman
0: back has got the microphone. Yes, sir. What about fatigue, Yeah. Being thrown by the
2: Oh, I knew it's similar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, we, uh, first of all, uh, I, I just recently left the team, uh, as Mark said, on promotion. Uh, I've gone on to another job where I spent actually uh, four years, probably the best four years of my life, uh, on the Red Arrows. Uh, extremely proud of what we do. Uh, and I'm quite happy, as, as Mark has said, I'm quite to stay until I'm age 80 from so accepting it on fitting them. Uh, and I think, uh, on that point, I think. I think Mark has joined, and now there's 29 years already into the service. Uh, Mark has joined, so I've been going some time, it's been unbelievable. Talking about your fatigue, we do have what we call a fatigue monitor uh, on the aircraft, on one aircraft that moved on, moved forward. And I think it's still, still having one aeroplane that's as strain as fitted to it. Uh, which, uh, from a BAE point of view, they want to know the life of that aeroplane, how it's reacting, how soon. Uh, how the fuselage are standing up to certain stresses, how the wings are standing up to certain stresses. And they strain gauges on, on the airplane that's measuring, uh, measuring parameters uh, of how much pressure and how much strain is going on certain parts. And we need to know that to keep the longevity of the airplane see and predict it how far into the future we can actually go to keep the platform. As Mark said earlier on, thankfully two weeks one of have disbanded, we've got tv 2 coming into service, it's going to give us lots of spares for the future and hopefully out to about 2030, uh, which makes it a old airplane. But it is something that we're aware of, uh, and if the aircraft pulls too much G, then it has to go through a certain amount of checks. Uh, the engineers will jack the airplane up put it into a certain configuration. And the look for, for signs of fatigue, cracks, damage, uh, you know, items small enough, non-destructive testing, what we call we uh, do in the formal world. It's, uh, basically, we can have, there's three ways you can do it. We can spray on a dye onto a piece of metal uh, and then you wipe the dye, uh, sorry, you've got a penetrant on, uh, spray it onto the metal and then you wipe that off, then you've got a dye on, leave the soap for a certain amount of time, wipe that away and it will not penetrate into the cracks or any, uh, any flaw within uh, the structure. That's one way of doing it. We can also do the with a marble and eyeball and also we can do it with no testing and we can it uh, to see if we've got cracks in the airframe as well. Uh, and there's various uh, times within the servicing that certain components on the airplane, maybe so many fine hours, have to be checked for that. Uh, and there's certain areas on the airplane that are more susceptible to cracks than what others are. And for instance, the back end of the airplane, you, you'll notice when it gets put around a one, it takes a lot of, uh, of force. Especially when the air brake drops out the bottom. And, and the display, 70% of the display is flown with the air brake out. And that's good for various reasons, but one of the main reasons is it creates a bigger vortex and a bigger plume, which gives you a lot bigger smoke sort of plume out the back. So when you watch the display, you'll get a small cone to plume out the back of smoke when the air brake's in, but a bigger uh, plume when uh, the air brake's out, and that's because of the turbulence created. Unfortunately, that puts a lot of vibration and a lot of stress on the back end. Uh, and it is, it is like, literally, uh, you know, we've all done it, we've down the car at speeds you probably shouldn't drive down the road in. Uh, Windows down, and put our hand out and it's you put your hand out like it's the airflow, it's fine, you put your hand up and it rips it off. Uh, and that's exactly the effect that air airway has when it comes out into the airflow. Uh, so, the back end is beefed up a lot more with what we call domain rivets. Uh, so they're not flush with the surface; they've got a slight doming, it's strong with it. Whereas the front of the airplane, there's not as much stresses on it, and they have smooth with and it actually allows the airplane to function a lot quicker. So back ends, we have a problem over the years of, of cracks and fatigue. Advantage question. Uh, another
0: question from back, yes, sir. Um, in the paper a few days ago, I saw a comment by an on the forthcoming display, following the Shoreham air crash yep. and stated quite
1: explicitly that the full displays at the Air Stream would most probably be curtailed over land this year. do you comment on that? Yeah, so obviously, um, f- unfortunately, um, Shoreham was tragic last year and, and it was a, a real bad moment for the display uh, teams throughout. There's a, to do a show, uh, Goodwood is a number of strict criteria that we need to meet, uh, and the military has always done that. We always meet the criteria. Have met um, the criteria, but uh, for civilian elements, the CAA uh, analysed the Shoreham incident uh, and came out with 20 plus uh, criteria that air shows need to achieve um, safety regulations prior to holding an event. And um, so a number of uh, number of displays have been cancelled this year uh, because the display venues haven't had the time to in- implement the changes. For example, Whitby and Dartmouth, which we've been going to for years. Uh, I think the comment you're referring to is uh, Farnborough. So uh, every two years uh, we have the Farnborough air, shut- uh, air show. A massive show um, promoting uh, business. Uh, But it was announced last week that the Red Arrows won't be displaying. And that's because Farmer have been unable to um, meet the criteria that's been governed by the CAA. So every air show um, got crowds. So I'm the crowd here. And then you've got the runway, which is probably here, and then 230 metres away from the crowd is the display area. So I'm, a... I'm not gonna do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I'm a Red Arrows uh, aircraft, I'm flying around. If I breach this 230 metre safety line, the display will be cancelled. And that line's been pushed out post to Shoreham, um, in case something went wrong so the aircraft is not crashing into the ground and killing a lot of people potentially. So they pushed the, the line back and it's now 230 metres away. From 230 metres away we then have a display box which will then extend about probably approximately a mile to the right, a mile to the left and you'll go so far that side and that is our dead zone. So no one can enter that airspace while we're doing the display. Uh, depending where it is, it could be governed up to 5,500 feet, so then we can do our big looping and rolling maneuvers that I was talking about. But at Farnborough, that dead zone is over a housing estate. So why would I want to put jets upside down at 50 feet, flying at 800 miles per hour closing speed, over a housing estate. Um, so, unfortunately, that was the decision that was made uh, at government level that they're unwilling to sign the risk of, quite rightly so, because there's a, a serious risk to the public that's displayed the Farnborough. We are doing this certain elements there, we're doing joint flight tasks, uh, bringing the F-35 Lightning II to the UK for the first time, so I knew vertical landing, short takeoff aircraft has come to the UK for the first time, uh, we're doing a joint flying pass with the new um, A350. So we are there in some sort of capacity, but unfortunately just due to the, what lies beneath the dead zone, we can't display. Uh, other air shows have been reviewed constantly throughout the, uh, the display season, but um, that is the, the, the big uh, headliner that we unfortunately won't be displaying there. Okay, thank you. And and just on yeah, yeah, uh, 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 the Really good
2: point earlier on about uh, criteria, and one of those he spoke about was filming. And uh, every airshow as he said, is have to be filmed, and that's that's by the CAA. It's not particularly governed by the hours. It's great for us. Uh, and on that point, you know, if there's no photographer who it goes in, go sick, there's no display. Um, and it's same as red one, if red one goes sick and can't fly, there's no display. Nobody else can jump in his position. And that goes for the other positions in the team. If six goes sick, then you don't fly with six. But you continue on. Uh, so we do take safety. It's absolutely paramount. The Thank you. yes, madam. Just a
1: very quick question: uh, Is there any plans to admit women into the areas? Uh, to admit women into the yeah, we, we we actually do. Um, so everyone comes from the um, from the Royal Air Force. We've got uh, probably in the region of four uh, females uh, engineers that uh, work with us and we had Kirsty. and Kirstie was a display pilot in 2012. Um, why don't we have more girls uh, flying or more females flying in the display? Just because we don't have um, as many females to pick from RAF pilots. So there's a small percentage uh, of girls that are fast jet pilots but they may not necessarily want to be a Red Arrows pilot. So, as long as they meet the criteria, they're completely eligible to fly. Uh, and Kirsty was the first one three years, four years ago. Yeah. No, but we do have uh, female engineers and support staff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Taylor.
0: Yes. Um, Your synchro pair. Uh, they come. They come towards each other. Yep. They always look very close. How close actually are
1: they? Um. At- Tell At- 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 them. and it it is a bit of deception so uh, they will be less than so when we go into Diamond 9 flying along the jets are around about 6 foot away from each other 4 to 6 foot and that's when we're short Diamond that's the closest we'll be Uh, going back to Synchro so 6 and 7 flying uh, opposite each one towards each other they're in the region of 30 feet, a little bit less than that. But they'll start off of metre, hundreds of meters apart, and then they'll gradually come closer and closer during winter training until they're at the quite, uh, correct level. What well, I did want to know, though, I'll just go back to the synchro picture. So they're flying at 50 feet. So set up to 50 feet, and you're taking a picture from the ground up. You're, you're taking a picture at a diagonal, so if they were completely level, the nearest one is going to seem higher than the back one. So we put in what's known as a fudge, a fudge element. So he's actually flying, could be a metre or so, slightly lower, just to give that visual spectacle that they're flying head to head. So when you're taking that picture up from the ground, it looks like they're crossing, uh, and we do put elements of fudge in there. Throughout the display, just to make it look closer than it is. So when you'll see the brakes, we're all flying towards the crowd, where we'll have separation. But because we're flying at four hundred miles per hour, or a mile every seven seconds, you can't tell that element that the stage back, and then we'll park together, and it looks like everyone's really close. But we've got quite interesting. Okay, another one more question.
0: When you're uh, flying position flights, do you
1: always fly in the same formation and you fly it tight? And what about when you've got ten or maybe eleven ships? Um, so yeah, everywhere that we go, it, we fly in formation, and that's uh, so. Uh, over your garden, you look up. It's the radars, um, and that's for a safety reason as well. So we're all self-contained in a small bubble. So Enid will fly in a V uh, in big battle. Uh, and they'll stay in formation. And then Jippo will stay in a a diamond or in a a section of four. If we take 10, well, wherever we go, we always take 10 aircraft, and that's so Red 10, who's the supervisor, who provides the commentary on the ground, but also he provides the safety aspect. So if he's saying the weather's not good, the crowd's too far forward, the display won't happen without his say-so to Red 1. Going back to the question though, so he will, Jipo uh, will fly in a V as well, at 50 foot separation. So it gives that, we can do the look around, because quite often where you say the Red Arrows are flying from Bournemouth to Exeter, Joe Bloggs in his Cessna will go, oh, the Red Arrows are flying, let's go and try and find them. Uh, even though there's notice to air ta- airmen or no saying we have an avoidance corridor, we get quite often have people trying to uh, try and see us with Jipo and Enid, separation, if we've got aircraft flying head-on towards us, it may be quite difficult for us to pinpoint them out, but with the separation, Jipo can then look up and spot us, but we do fly information everywhere. Any more questions, ladies and gentlemen? Okay.
0: Thank you both, Barry and Marcus.